Hi there. Welcome to the Jewelry Navigator podcast, an on-the-go source of original and unique jewelry with stories of the designers who create it. My name is Brenna Pakes. I'm a graduate gemologist with a degree in geology. I've worked in the retail sector for over 15 years. After completing my graduate gemology diploma and working in the industry for a little while, I took an intermittent career break and worked for a major airline. That's why I combine the theme of aviation and the concept of navigating shoppers to choices of unique jewelry, as well as understanding gem selection and jewelry construction, as well as metal choices. I do a coordinating blog post for every podcast showing photos of the jewelry that we're talking about, as well as links to the jewelers and more information about them. So I hope you enjoy the episodes and feel free to subscribe for your Jewelry Navigator Passport, a way to stay up to date with the current episodes and upcoming features. Thanks so much for joining us and enjoy the episode. Hey there, welcome back to Jewelry Navigator Podcast. I'm Brenna Pakes, Jewelry Navigator, and today my guest on Jewelry Navigator Podcast is Karen Jacobson. Not only is Karen kind and welcoming when you meet her, but she's a talented jeweler whose open mind allows her to interpret visions into beautiful wearable jewelry art. Her journey and aesthetic have revealed a unique style that has become unquestionably recognizable as Karen Jacobson jewelry. I've been a fan of her jewelry for a few years now, and the evolution of her aesthetic has been a joy to watch. Karen's standout signature aesthetics are hybrid origami halos that bloom from ring wraps, stick pins, earrings, and graceful pendants that drape from neck wires. The origami features make Karen's jewelry sculptural, and many of her collectors and clients display them as such in between wearing them. Karen has earned many industry design awards, and this year she was one of only three jewelers selected to take part in MJSA's annual contest, Mystery Box Challenge, which is a fun but challenging test to create jewelry using fabrication elements contained within a mystery box. Karen's resulting jewelry entry for the Mystery Box Challenge reflected her signature origami floral aesthetics. While the copper clay included in the essential components for the Mystery Box Challenge presented a conundrum, how she chose to implement the copper clay is a perfect example of her creative problem-solving skills as an innovative artist. I met Karen twice both in Baltimore and both at the American Craft Council shows, this year and last, and I count myself extremely lucky to have enjoyed one of the last jewelry, trade, and craft shows since the outbreak of COVID-19. I have to say this has thrown us all for a loop, and I hope everybody is staying safe and well. But I'm also very impressed with how companies, businesses, small and large, have come together to do their part in helping people who need help, especially those on the front line of of serving and healing and helping people who are sick and in the hospital, healthcare providers, doctors, nurses, and how the jewelers and designers, many of whom are listening right now, and many of whom I featured on the podcast are stepping up and gifting their jewelry to these people who are working so hard and tirelessly 
to take care of patients who are stricken by this horrible global pandemic disease. In fact, Karin is also participating in a special effort, and you can learn about that on her Instagram page. That's at Karin Jacobson Jewelry. It's called Artist Support Pledge. She's also donating a certain percentage of her sales to her local food bank. I want to mention one more thing in reference to COVID-19 and how we can be taking care of ourselves. And that is last week on Jewelry Navigator podcast, my guest was Dr. Dana Bush. She's a clinical psychologist and she joined me last week with some wonderful tips on self-care and how to get yourself and your own family through this crisis. If you'd like to learn more, go back and listen to that episode. And I've also supplied a resource guide on my website with many of the resources that Dana mentions in the podcast. I just want to say thank you to everyone for listening. And I hope that Karen's story inspires you and takes your mind off of some of these things that are so unpleasant and um, distressing to, to pay attention to. And I hope you're looking forward to brighter and happier days when we can all enjoy meeting each other in person again. And until then, I do look forward to seeing Karen and her beautiful jewelry creations in person again. And for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy my visit with Karen Jacobson. Welcome aboard. Well, I've been a huge fan of yours. Gosh, probably, I don't even remember when I first started seeing you, but I think it was when I started understanding what Instagram was. And I think I found you on Instagram. And what attracted me was your your big cocktail rings. (laughs) I'm going to have you share with us your your cocktail ring story. And then we'll, we'll kind of go backwards and have you share with us your background and how you got started into creating, designing, and and making jewelry. Sure. Well, um, those cocktail rings, which I still love, were super fun. Um, I was doing a lot of of big, um, almost exaggerated, bright-colored, playful, fun pieces, and that was under my Supercarn collection, which I didn't realize that you had found me with that <laughs> collection. Mm-hmm. That, was a, that was a little while ago. But they were super fun pieces, and I had a great little bit of, of marketing, some marketing materials. Uh, I had been working with a friend to come up with a catalog, and he was this fantastic illustrator. And we were kind of talking about it, and he was saying, you know, I'm looking at the pieces, and what about what about like a comic book? And I thought, oh my God, that is, that is brilliant. So we sort of jointly together, but, but I would say the coming up with the actual sort of storyline and the alter ego was more him. And for me, just the idea of having something that you could put on that made you feel sort of powerful and like a superhero and um, strong and just fun and playful was, was really what I was going with with that collection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing sterling and a lot of just big, bright lab grown stones um, and had a lot of fun with that. Right. And for those of you listening who don't understand what a lab grown stone is, 
it's the same, it has the same chemical and mineralogical components that a natural gemstone does. They're just made in a lab. And most of the time they happen to be um, a lot more affordable alternatives to natural stones. So it's easy to work with them on a larger scale and it keeps the cost down. So it, that's a perfect use of a lab-grown stone because they are available in bigger sizes and that's what you were able to do to kind of make that whole storyline for that um, that that jewelry line come out. It was a perfect choice for that. Yeah, it worked really well. There were there were a number of aspects about it that um, that worked well, and like you said, the color with with some of the colors with some stones with natural stones, you can get big ones, and they're not incredibly expensive. But you can't really get every color. You can't. There aren't natural stones that you can get like in in pinks and reds that you can get in such big sizes that aren't you know extremely expensive and I wanted the collection to be you know reasonably priced um, the kind of price that you would want to pay for something that's really fun and not you know the an heirloom piece you know something that you would actually wear out and enjoy and another thing that worked well for me was um, with some of the smaller pieces you could get this whole range of colors and you could say yeah you can buy it in the whole rainbow and they're, mm. and they're all the same price, basically. There was a, a small enough difference in the prices between the different colors that you could, that you could offer it up um, in just one price point in like 15 colors, um, which was also worked really well with that. Yes, yeah. That was, it was super fun. And, um, of course, I'm always drawn to color. So I, that just like piqued my attention right away. And when I saw you in Baltimore, you mentioned that you're contemplating bringing that collection back at some point in the near future. Well, yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't say in the near future necessarily, but it's something that, you know, it's so different than the pieces that I'm working on right now. It's almost a a 90 degree turn from, from where I am. Um, But it's, it's still sort of, it's still part of me and it's still a collection that I love. So mm-hmm. um, I'm hoping that at some point I'll have time to maybe go back and work with it and just do some more of the maybe bigger one-of-a-kind pieces that are um, just even uh, even bigger, even showier. But um, mm-hmm. right now I'm really focused on the, the one collection that I'm, that I'm, been moving forward with lately so it's it's in the back of my mind and it's still there and it's still kind of alive in my heart but um, I'm not sure when I'll have a chance to to get back to it but someday I I really hope to yeah we'll we'll have to watch for that someday in the meantime what you're making now is fabulous and I love seeing that the evolution of your collection after your cocktail rings and growing as an artist, your origami designs have become a signature aesthetic of yours. And I love how they frame and contrast the clean lines of how you set your stones, which kind of is a reflection of that cocktail, or at least how the cocktail rings, the stones were set with the bezels. What was the inspiration behind your origami aesthetic? And 
are there challenges that you had to overcome in developing, you know, the scale and the texture and how to how to make something look delicate out of metal? Yeah. So the original inspiration was, you know, for for actually quite a while I'd had this idea in my head of how to take something that's completely flat and make it into sort of a a 3D shape. Um, in part because I thought you could do a lot with negative space, um, but also in doing something with negative space, functionally it makes the piece a lot lighter. So if you want to wear, I love to wear big earrings, but I don't like the feeling of things dragging on my ears. I Mm -hmm. find it just annoying and painful. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to be able to make pieces that were big, but also lightweight. And I had at different times tried a few things here and there because I, like I said, it was something that had been just sort of rattling around in my brain for, for years. And then at one point I was playing with some shapes that I had developed for a different project and sort of discarded. I, I didn't like where the project was going. And then I thought, what if I, what if I kind of fold up and, and I started playing around with it. And then the shapes evolved from, what those what those were but um in the end i found that i could come up with these um these pieces that had a lot of cutouts um and could really be folded up in a way that's not exactly like origami i mean they're not creased but sort of had the feel of um of just of something flat folded and then voluminous and I felt like they were had a nice combination of feeling strong and clean but also a little bit organic and feminine and pretty and um, I just really liked how they how they turned out so um, so I started playing around with those and I started with single pieces which um, weren't too challenging Um, I cast these flat pieces um, so that I don't have to cut out every single one, although I do cut out the original piece, but they start out as a sort of a flat shape with a bunch of cutouts, and then I can fold them up. Um, And in some cases, it's just one piece that I fold up, but then I started putting pieces together and making these more complex forms. And um, I would say the big challenge there is just soldering these things. Um, if you've, for anybody who's, who's soldered, um, it's difficult to get things to, to sort of fit in the place that you want to sit once they're hot and they're the, the flux which you put on the metal to, to protect it while you're soldering makes them sort of slide around and move and you're trying to hold things in places while getting the temperature right and heating up just the place that you want that you want them to solder and they wanted to melt and slide all over the place and um, really improved my soldering skills. <laughs> um, right. so I would say that was the, that's been the biggest challenge, but, um, but I've gotten used to it. And then um, pretty recently I, I got a, um, a micro TIG welder, which mm-hmm. um, I don't actually use for the, the complete, joining of the pieces, but now I can tack them in place um, that keeps them from sliding around when they solder, and that has sped things up and made things considerably easier. So I'll, I'll kind of tack 
pieces in place and then solder them after. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that was a challenge to overcome. <laughs> Sometimes there are things that we just kind of have to discover as we go along. And I'm really glad that you were able to find something that's going to make your work a lot easier because the origami pieces, I mean, if you look at them, you think, your mind's eye looks at it and say, oh my gosh, that's paper, but it's not. It's jewelry that you've you've created and, you know, worked around in, like you said, you've used negative space to its own advantage and um, they just come out beautifully. Thank you. Yeah. Tell us about your formal background and how you got started in making jewelry. Yeah, so, um, well, actually, I did go to a a high school for the arts. So um, my junior and senior year um, of high school, uh, Minnesota has a publicly funded state-run arts high school, and they take um, an equal number of kids from every congressional district. So it's kids from all over the state. Um, And I went there, actually, the very first year, the first and second year, they were open, so it was a very new thing. because I was very interested in art and um, I took a jewelry class um, each year because they were offered and I actually had really been more into sort of painting and drawing, mostly drawing um, and didn't know how much I liked 3D art until I tried it out and it just, it, I really enjoyed it. It was, I, I think I just liked this sort of small, fussy, detailed <laughs> work Mm-hmm. and um and building those skills so the one of my teachers they were all the, all the teachers at that time for for those sort of uh non-basic classes like the jewelry teachers were visiting artists who are just people in the community and so the woman who taught the class my senior year her name was cheryl ridmark um and she is a designer she now lives in um uh I think it's Central Coast, California, kind of in the, not San Francisco, but sort of in wine country. Mm-hmm. Um, so I asked her, I don't know what made me think this was a thing you could do, but I asked her if she needed an apprentice for the summer. And she said, I, I mean, I guess so. So um, <laughs> I came and worked for her for free. And I decided I liked it so much that I, um, that I decided to defer college for a year. Um, and I worked part-time for her and then part-time just doing other odd things. Like I worked at a Williams Sonoma and in a cafe and that kind of stuff. Um, and then by the time I decided to, um, start going to school, um, I had, she had started paying me. So then it was my job job while I was going to college and I ended up, um, majoring in history because. I sort of felt like, well, here's another thing that's really interesting to me. I'm not sure if I'm going to go into the arts, but I'm already doing a lot of art. So maybe while I'm in school, maybe I should do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I didn't end up going into history. I went into jewelry, but I worked for her for seven years. Um, and after that, um, she moved to, um, well, first to New York and then to California, um, and I worked at a repair shop for a little while, and I worked at some restaurants and was kind of just trying to decide, like, do I really want to make jewelry my career, or do I want to think about doing something else? Do I want to go to graduate school? And um, 
decided to start working on a collection. I had a friend who had a studio space and I was renting a little corner of it. And I went in and started working on this collection. And it was very, it was the very supercar and stuff. It was these, um, not cocktail rings, but these, <laughs> these big rocket rings mm-hmm. that were like kind of sci-fi rocket galaxy rings um, <laughs> and a few other big things, these giant heavy sterling ball rings that had gems all over them. And um, I was showing a friend of mine that I had previously worked with. Um, she also worked for the jewelry designer boss, Cheryl, and she had started then working at the local art museum, our modern art museum, the Walker Art Center for the jewelry buyer. And I asked her if she wanted to meet and just tell me what she thought of the new designs. And so we met over lunch at the Walker and she was like, Oh my God, I love these. I should show the buyer. I thought, yeah, sure, whatever. And she literally at lunch took them downstairs, showed the buyer and they were like, yeah, we should get those. So um, I had been kind of trying to come up with a, a collection of things that I could use to apply for jobs someplace, just a, mm-hmm. just a portfolio of my own work um, in hopes that I could, maybe get a job. I wasn't really thinking that I would go ahead and start a business at that moment. Um, so I didn't have a business plan or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I just had a bunch of rings and a corner of a studio. But they, it's, a, it's a well-known museum. They have a lot of buyers or you know, a lot of shoppers. And the store is really well-known around here. So I thought, all right, let's do it. And um, started making pieces. Um, to sell through the walker and within a couple of years I got some other accounts and wound up you know quitting my waitressing jobs and that's that's how it started and you know a ton of bumps along the road but that was basically it right what's really wonderful about that is that you kept your doors open you know you weren't sure which way you were going to pivot but you kept on you know looking for those opportunities and making them. I was thinking as you were telling me, um, you know, your formal education is in history, but you actually started out with an art background. History, you can find a way to tie almost every subject into jewelry. And yeah. that understanding the history, you know, it involves, you know, the motivation behind jewelry, you know, economy, um, styling, and it just gives you a really good foundation of understanding. So I'm sure it serves serves you in a lot of different ways, and some days you may not even know it, but I'm sure that it does. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, it was just something that was interesting to me, and I thought, well, if nothing else, it makes you like a, a better global citizen to just kind of have a sense of the past. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's that's so exciting. Well, I feel like your your style it appeals to a wide range of demographics. Do you do you find that to be true? I always design um, with the the person that I know best in mind, which is which is me. That's my that's mm-hmm. kind of my first ring of people that I design for. Yeah. It's just, yeah. do I love it? But um, when I take it to shows and I meet people who love, who like it or love it or want to talk about it, it is, it is all over the place. Um, it's mostly women, but other than that, um, it's, you know, kind of every age, every style. 
Um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of, there really isn't just sort of one, one woman that likes it. Um, and things that I, that I've noticed, I, that are, that are common are, you know, people who are, um, they want something that's, that's one of a kind. They want something that's different than what their friends have, or mm-hmm. maybe they're sort of like a tastemaker. Like they want to be the first person. A lot of times I notice that um, clients will be really excited to say, Hey, I'm going to show you to my, to my friends, my people. Um, mm-hmm. So they like to be the person who found the great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not so interested in what's, trendy or if they are that's not why they're looking at my work so much they might they might like trendy things too but but that's not what what they like about my stuff um another thing that i find that's really common for people who like it is people who are interested in it as an art piece and they want to know um how did you do that how did you make it what what is it you know they they want to hear um kind of the story about it curious about how it works and how I make it. And mm-hmm. so I think they're just very interested in the art form. And um, some, some of them just, you know, I've had clients who have even purchased things and said, you know, I, I like to wear it, but I also just like to see it on my shelf. <laughs> so um, mm-hmm. people who just enjoy having these, these beautiful things. So, but as far as the demographic, I have no idea. It's all over the place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When people are taught how to build a collection or create something, they're always encouraged to find their avatar or their blue person or who they're telling their story to. And I love that you said, I always design based on what I like because that's what mm-hmm. we're most passionate about. So there's, um, that just makes perfect sense. And why would you design for what you think other people are going to like, but you're not really going to be behind it? So Absolutely, yeah. And then it's, you know, I can show people something that maybe, you know, my work is, is um, hopefully something that somebody hasn't seen elsewhere before. I mean, I, I, I try to make things that are, that are unique and original. And then the fun thing is, is if I'm excited about it, then I can say, look at this, you know, thing that you've never seen before, and here's what's exciting about it to me, and maybe you'll think the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Right. No, I agree. And I've never seen this concept on any of the designs. It's very, it's very you. <laughs> it's very. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. When I see it, I know that it's you, which is really cool. Thank you. Yeah, yes. that's, that's, I appreciate that so much because that's, it's very much what I'm going for. Yeah, good, good. Um, and I'm all about educating the consumer to things that are different. Like you said, those people who are the taste makers or the taste finders, they they want to be the one who, um, first of all, they're really excited because they found it and they love to wear it and they want to show it off. And then they take it and show it to their friends. Those are the kind of people we want to get in front of because they get as excited about it as we do. Um, So I love exposing that to those kind of people and also educating the general public that, you know, you don't have to go to a typical jewelry store to find something that makes you stand out and makes you feel different and unique and special like 
you know, we should be. We should celebrate those qualities. Yeah, I love that about your website, too, because I found a bunch of designers that I didn't know about, and they're doing super interesting and cool things, and it's really fun. I mean, there are just, there are so many ways you can make jewelry. It's, you know, it's really infinite, and it's so cool to see all the amazing things that people do with it. And I just, I have so much appreciation for things that people do that aren't like what I do, but um, but beautiful and it's a great world to be in, you know, it's just eye candy everywhere. Mm, true. It is a great world to be in. You're right. And there, there is eye candy everywhere. And <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> um, is there anything else you want before I, I go on to my, kind of my last question, is there anything you want to share with us? Like, do you have a new collection coming out or, um, are there any particular things that make you really excited that you want to share with us that, that you create? I've started playing around with some more unique stones. Um, and I've, I guess in the newer collection that's coming up, I'm going to be using some, some bigger pieces that are more, um, you know, not so much your typical faceted gemstones, although I'll still have those as well, but sort of, um, maybe less expensive material, but cut bigger. So I've been playing around with some jasper and some turquoise and um, some, actually some petrified palm root and some big um, anhydro quartzes and Mm -hmm. um, just trying to find things that are, that are interesting and different and um, kind of pairing that with, some of the other things that I'm already doing. I just, I started going down this little rabbit hole of, of these pieces that are not clear gemstones, but just things that have color and pattern and shape and movement all within them. And um, just been finding some sort of interesting stuff. So that's what's coming up. Um, But I've only I've been playing around with it for a little while. I don't really have a good way to describe it, and I'm not entirely sure where it's going yet. Okay. So (laughs) we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Um, What I so appreciate about your jewelry, besides the origami accents and how they can, um, you know, contrast and complement the gemstones that you use, is that you do use a lot of really beautiful color gemstones like um the rings that i'm i'm attracted to rings only because i can see them on my hands um i like all jewelry but i especially love rings because i get to enjoy them you know rather than a necklace where i might not be able to see it or earrings some of the rings that i got to play with while i was in baltimore one was that beautiful amazing juicy hot pink rubellite tourmaline with the origami wrap that was with it. That's just stunning. And then the green tourmaline. And um, I'm kind of going through your Instagram feed because I can't remember them all. There was that really pretty pale pink one. What was that stone? Um, Was it a a ring? Yes, it was a ring. Um, Was it the Oregon Sunstone? I think so. Yep. That's and it had the copper in it, and I set it in 18 karat gold, and then the accent, the wrap ring was a 14 karat rose gold that kind of had that rosy, coppery color to play around with the, 
the copper that was in the sunstone. Yes, it was the geo, it was, and it was geo. Yep, the geo cut. Yep. And we were talking about that, yes. One of the things that makes me really happy about those stacking rings that I love is it kind of pairs the supercarin aesthetic a little bit of those big kind of, the, the stones aren't as big because they're natural. So, you know, a mm -hmm. 15 millimeter stone is beyond me. But um, uh, the the sort of simple kind of cocktail-y band, but then with the origami accent kind of, kind of puts those two halves of my brain together and um the, that's been a really fun um a fun collection to to work with that's kind of like the sub collection in the origami pieces yes so yeah i like how it can kind of like the concept where it could go from day to night where you know just in the daytime it's a simple beautiful ring and then if you wore it for you know special occasion the origami wrap you just put that on top of it and it gives it a whole different look I just yeah. love how that all comes together yeah thank you mm -hmm. me too I, I love those pieces and I'm glad you do too it's always mm -hmm. so gratifying to have something that you like so much and have other people love it too right right Speaking about your work, and I know that you've earned several awards along the way, one of which the most recent one was in the February issue of MJSA Journal. Tell me, I can never remember what the acronym or what the abbreviation is for those words. Metal? Um, MJSA is the Thank Manufacturing you. Jewelers and Suppliers of America. Yeah. So they... They focus on a lot of, um, I think they send out to a lot of jewelry stores and a lot of people who make, make jewelry. Um, and then they've got their, um, their big conference um, that they do in New York that has a lot of suppliers there and a lot of, a lot of people talking about technique and stuff like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah. so, yeah, and that was, the, that was the mystery box challenge. And I don't know that I technically won it, although they did put me on the cover, which felt great, but it was the... Um, the project was just they asked three designers to come up with a piece of jewelry based on materials that they sent you. And mm -hmm. so three of us did it, and then we got sort of spreads in MJSA to talk about it. And I was the lucky one who got put on the cover. So um, mm -hmm. that was really <laughs> super fun. So for that, they sent me a box, and it had a sheet of silver, um, two big um, – blue topazes and a, that were emerald cut and an oval citrine. They sent me a baggie of tiny lab-grown diamonds, mm -hmm. and they sent me a packet of copper clay. Hmm. And um, the copper clay was what really tripped me up on that one. <laughs> and um, so I, was, I spent a lot of time thinking about what I wanted to do for that piece. And I ended up doing something that's kind of that's very similar to my origami pieces, but I um, wanted to try some new things. Um, so I did some cutout and folded shapes that I did two that overlapped and were soldered together so that it kind of spiraled in on itself. I feel mm -hmm. like it's going to be hard to describe, but I, I outlined the piece like I often do with um, 18 karat gold and then put um, put diamonds on the ends of all the sort of flower petal points. But I was really, um, was really stuck on what to do with the copper clay because I've never worked with metal clay before and I don't own a kiln, which is how people normally fire it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and for people who don't know copper clay, it's like a, you can do it with, I think they have silver and copper and maybe even gold. I'm not sure, but it's, it's a clay and then you put it in the oven and bake it and whatever makes it feel like clay burns off and it just turns into metal. Um, mm. And you can apparently fire it with a torch, but um, I was not having great success with it, but it was the only way that I could, the only way I could do it because I don't have a kiln. And then I was remembering um, what I was telling you earlier about how I like to think of these pieces as little sculptures and how I've had clients say, you know, sometimes I just like to see it sitting on my, sitting on my dresser, sitting on my shelf. And I mm-hmm. thought, well, perfect thing to do with the copper clay would be to build a little structure, like a little prop that, um, that I could, that would hold up the pendant and make it, um, you could just take the, take the cable, the neck cable off. And then it's just a pendant sitting there and it's propped up facing forward and, um, and it becomes like a, a little sculpture. Yes, yes. Okay. Because I'm looking at it on your Instagram feed and I love that concept. I'm wondering if more people would want that for their pieces. And I, I seriously think you should at least um, offer them for your big pieces because they are. They are their little sculptural works of art. It's such a cool idea. And I'm so, I didn't realize they were only, th- they only invited three jewelers mm-hmm. yeah yeah they, <laughs> they they sent these boxes out to three of us and yeah I actually I had that was another thing that I'd been kind of toying with um, before I did it and it kind of came back to me thinking oh I've been meaning to make these little props this seems like the perfect time to this is the perfect thing to do with the copper clay and actually I probably won't make them with copper clay but I was thinking that I could make them just forging wire. And it is something that I want to do. I, it was so close to um, when I was getting ready to leave for the, you know, the, with the winter shows, the New York now in Baltimore that I didn't have any for those. I wasn't able to get them ready, but mm-hmm. I do want to make some, some big statement pieces and have the, um, the little props available for them. Um, for people because I, I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, this is, this is great. I'm definitely going to do this again. Yeah. Um, just uh, not, just not out of clay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a great idea. Yeah. So where can people find you? They can find you online. Um, yeah, it's karenjacobson.com and there are, um, there are a list of retailers um, on my website um, mm-hmm. where you can find me and then also um, on Instagram. And on Instagram, I'm Karen Jacobson Jewelry. Perfect. That's wonderful. Well, I so enjoy getting to visit with you here today and also in Baltimore. I love always seeing your jewelry, and it's always a treat to get to see you in person. So thank you so much for sharing your story and your jewelry with us on Jewelry Navigator. And please follow Karen on her journey, her jewelry journey. And whenever you can, if um, when I know with all of the COVID-19, it's kind of putting things to a standstill right now. But do you have plans later in the year for other shows? Yeah. So um, my next show uh, would be the American Craft Council show in St. Paul. Um, I just saw that they just canceled the Atlanta show. So Mm -hmm. um, 
if this one happens, I guess I'd be surprised, but, um, but it might. Um, yeah. And if it not, it's probably for the best. So whatever is for the best. And then right. after that, um, it, the New York show isn't open to the public. That's a, that's a wholesale show, but I'll be at New York now um, mm-hmm. in August if that happens. And um, I don't do, um, I don't do a lot of retail shows. So, um, so I, I don't do sort of like the summer sh- circuit of shows. Mm-hmm. Um, you- so I guess, yeah, the next one is New York. Okay, okay. And you certainly have a lot of stores across the country where people would have an opportunity if they're close to any of those locations to see you. And um, like we've been saying, you can see Karen's portfolio of jewelry on on Instagram. And I'm going to be doing a special post with some of the pictures that I took of her jewelry and then featuring some others on, um, on a devoted post for the podcast. So... Thanks so oh, much. Yay. Thank you. Time. Yeah, you're so welcome. It's my pleasure. I just absolutely, you're a treat to visit with. You're um, just so lovely, and I'm really glad I get to share your story with everyone. Well, thank you. Um, it's been super fun talking to you and getting to know you as well. And I just thank you so much for your appreciation of my work. You know, I guess we work alone a lot, and when you finally do bring your work out it just feels so good to find people that love it so thank you good you're so welcome I hope you enjoyed Karen's story. I've really enjoyed getting to know her. And like I said, I count myself as very lucky to have been able to attend the American Craft Council show back in February in Baltimore. And I got to see her and visit her and spend some time with her and take some great pictures, which I'll include in on a blog post on jewelrynavigator.com. I also want to mention that you're always invited to subscribe to Jewelry Navigator Passport, which is my newsletter. Not only will it serve as a newsletter, but I'll announce new projects and new features that will be coming out in the coming weeks. I've tried to, I tried a couple of new things. I missed something this week. I wanted to I wanted to publish a reading and I'm not sure how I'm going to do this. I may do a live feature, but for now it'll probably be recorded until I grasp a handle on some of these new platforms that I'm, that I'm trying to learn. But um, on Wednesdays, I want to do a read aloud and read from a book from my own private collection of gem jewelry books, maybe some other things, maybe some geology books. I don't know. I'm I'm open for suggestions for sure. If anybody has some great stories um, of, of people doing wonderful things to alleviate some of the worry and stress from this COVID crisis, send them in. I'd love to share them. And it doesn't all have to be about jewelry. I love learning about anything. Um, let's share pictures of our pets. Speaking of pets, we got a new dog. I'll share I'll share our dog on my story or my, my Instagram. But anyway, everybody stay safe. Thank you so much for listening. And I thank each and every one of you for following me. And to the people who have found me on Podbean, thank you so much. I see that my following is increasing and definitely there are more downloads. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it. This is a great time to catch up on podcasts and learn new things. 
And above all, stay safe, wash your hands, cross-check your sparkle. Talk to you next time. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.